0: This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans.
1: And now, here's your host, Ian Aldanian. Welcome back to the greatest Beatles podcast on earth. (laughs) (laughs) Rated number one by the New York Times. I've already won a Pulitzer Prize i'm your host ethan alexanian
0: much better much better
1: thank you john (laughs) if you haven't already heard from his laughing we have a, a guest on which is usual for this podcast i don't even know why i said that all right ah god we have a great guest today uh he's a bass guitarist whose resume reads like a who's who of the golden era of classic rock he's played with the turtles mickey Dolans, todd Lundgren, mitch Ryder, denny lane felix cavalier and this uh fella you might have heard of by the name of alan parsons he did the theme for uh what the fuck with mark Marin, and he's the uh, co-host of the radio 418 and breaking it down with jeff and john podcasts and most importantly he's a self-described beatard john montagna thanks for coming on
0: it's my pleasure, Ethan. I can't tell you what an honor it is to be speaking to Canadian <laughs> carpet royalty. Man, I did some uh, research oh, on your family. Christ. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize like this is no. I'm listen. You think I'm joking around, but I'm. I'm. I'm dead serious because I. I. One of your shows, you mentioned the jingle. Yeah. To to the commercials, and you know, here in New York, we've got. A lot of um, sort of local businesses that would that would advertise locally that had their their jingles and their commercials that you remember your whole life. We had a place, um, uh, Coronet, which di- they did like children's bedroom furniture, and it was owned by. Uh, a, a family and the the two brothers would do the commercial together, and the <laughs> shtick was that they refused to do the to do commercials that were too fancy. You know, we don't want circus acts. We don't want, no talking orangutan. That was the line that, in all the commercials. And then you know, all we have is low prices, bum, 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 bum and no talking orangutan. And then it would say Coronet eleven eleven Old Country Road in Westbury. You know. Those are the those are the kinds of things that you remember your whole life. Okay, so I, I, l- I at that... least
1: wish my family's jingle was like that, because this is just this kind of high pitched harmony that you hear as you're driving, and it's like, oh my god,
0: you're but the first you American
1: it? guest I've had this bring this up to me. This will well, never leave me, and I will be haunted for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> You're gonna be haunted, dude. Being growing up an alexanian is gonna carry with it very uh, specific responsibilities, man. You know, it'd be like being related to the Pergament family <laughs> here in New York, or something like that. The it's like a paint store shop, Pergament for your homework, Ka- or Kaufman. like In New York, we had Kaufman, the carpet experts. We've got it all.
1: The thing you is. Know. On, with the whole carpet thing On one yeah. hand I'm really proud of it Because yes. like my, my great grandpa uh, Fled Armenia During the genocide right. And then wow. came to Canada And you know yeah. Made a, a great life for himself On the other hand If it's every yeah. day for the rest of your life In school Your friends come well. up to you And it's like <laughs> <laughs> You want to shoot yourself
0: Well I mean that's that's the, uh, that is a small price to pay,
1: yeah. I think. There's For no, being listen, a living know, God.
0: Yeah, I, that's, listen, man, you, now you understand like what, like, you can imagine like what, like, Julian Lennon was like, must have dealt with going to school or, or you know, anyone, or anyone, if you're, it's, as Frank Zappa once said, you know, my kids are not going to get in trouble because of their first name. It's going to be their last name. Yeah. that causes them, uh, you know what I mean? So there's, listen, on the one hand, you have being teased in school. On the other hand, fleeing your home country because there's a genocide going on. So like, you know, it's we're, we all are standing on the shoulders of our ancestors, and we are also made of culture. The things that we heard growing up the songs and the the stories that we heard growing up that we remembered as kids are that's that's what shapes us that's what makes us who we are that's why you and I are talking now from however many thousands of miles apart in, between ontario and new york because of the beatles <laughs> you know what i mean not that not that i'm equating the beatles with your great grandfather but you, you i think you get what i'm trying to say
1: I mean, I think. And the by the Armenian way, I played in Genes- Armenia.
0: What? Yeah, I'm sorry. Good. Oh, no, no, I, I was going to say we, we played a show in Armenia in '09. I think it was. We did a. Do you know who Javon Gasparian is?
1: I think I've heard the name.
0: He's a an Armenian musician. He's the master of the duduk, which is um, It's like a flute. It's like a reed instrument made of apricot wood. You would recognize the sound do you you have the chaos and creation in the backyard album yes okay the solo on jenny wren that sort of like wind kind of flute that's that's a duduk and Javon gasparian is like the he's like the charlie parker of the duduk he's like a world famous armenian musician and they had this major 80th birthday concert for him with like Andreas Voll um who with um, uh, Zucchetto, who's like an Italian pop singer. And were and, you there with uh, us.
1: Alan Parsons?
0: We were there with the, the Alan Parsons live project. Yeah, and it, and we did they did we did two shows. We did one show that was like an all-star salute to Jovan Gasparri and where everybody just played one or two songs and then we did a full-length concert on our own like two nights later. So we got to spend like 5 days there. Um in um yerevan the capital Mm -hmm. and it was it was amazing man it was like one of the most incredible places i've ever ever been to you know um and they were they were wonderful to us and i got to meet peter gabriel
1: you got to meet peter gabriel
0: that was i've never been so starstruck in my life man was he he wearing the flower
1: costume
0: no he was he he was he was wearing like just like this black coat and we knew he was gonna be there cause he was he wasn't performing he was like he I think he just appeared just to make a speech but you know and we you know with Parsons we would play these shows and cross paths with people from time to time you know if you're on like a festival date or whatever you meet him backstage we did some shows with Jethro Tull I oh. met Ian Anderson um, you know stuff like that would happen but he he walked Passed me in the hallway, and I just like gave. And he was so nice. He was like, "Oh, thank you very much. Yes." And I was like, oh, "I I play ba- I'm with the bass player with Alan Parsons." Oh yes. Oh very good. Yes. Could not have been nicer. But I was just like, doy, you know. And then I saw him again. They gave us a tour of the um, the Ararat Cognac Factory. Which, I guess I should tell you about it, see...
1: <laughs> the, it <laughs> sounded your, very familiar.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, I guess, um, it's like the number one brand of cognac in, um, from Armenia. And so they was, it was, you know, all of the performers on this show, like we had this full day off, and the promoters, I guess, they had to do something to keep these people occupied, otherwise they're gonna, you know, destroy the hotel or something, I don't know. So they gave us this, like, guided tour of the cognac factory, and then it culminated, the, the tour culminated with uh, this little cocktail reception thing. They had like a, a band and people was like sampling the cognac and Peter Gabriel was there. And so by now, all of us have, we've all met him already. So he kind of, so now we figure like we can just walk right up to him. And he recognized us. He's like, oh, yes, yes, sure. And so I have a, I have a picture somewhere of like me and Peter Gabriel holding up our little shot glasses of, uh, of cognac.
1: Damn.
0: Yeah, you it was. It was, it was
1: I think you know more about Armenia than I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll send you a link to a video that I made. Um, I was only able to post it on Facebook. It was too long. I took video for like. The whole time I was there, and I made this little video that's like it was like ten minutes long. And for whatever reason, I had trouble uploading it to YouTube. I can only upload it to Facebook. So I'll will send you the link. It's it was it was it was an amazing trip. Please do. Sure, sure, sure. It's
1: you really threw me off my game when you brought up the carpets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I, I that
0: wasn't my intention, but it was you know. Yeah, You know, when I, I, I didn't know who you were and I heard you, I heard you mentioned it on one of the shows (laughs) and I thought like, Oh, what's, what's, what is that about? And then I Googled your, the the last name and it was like, Oh my God, this guy's like, uh, I didn't, there's like this whole dynasty that I didn't even know about. I mean, I'm not
1: really directly involved with the company anymore. Right. It's run by like, no, it's a kind of a different side of the family. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it was, it was started by my great-grandpa. It was ran sure. by my grandpa for like 50 years. Sure. But it's uh, Piers Hemmingson, the Canadian author, who I just want to give a, a quick thank you before I give a proper review of his book tomorrow. I just got it in the mail. Uh, he brought the carpets up, and, which really? I kind of expected because he's out of Toronto. Uh, okay. But no other guest has brought that up. So you've earned <laughs> like triple brownie points.
0: Wow, okay. well, anyways, it's, it's just it's just called research. You know, I like to know who I'm talking to.
1: I know I've done this research that you speak of about there you. you. Go.
0: okay. All right. All right. so uh, I'm well, sure I'm sure you, there's all kinds of things you're dying to know about me, so, uh, yeah, go right ahead.
1: Uh, well, just kind of a question. Apart from the Beatles these days with the quarantine, mm. what are you listening to? Okay. That's an
0: excellent question. Um, I must say... I can't tell if there's a
1: hint of sarcasm
0: there. No, 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 no. No sarcasm at all. Um, Music has really been uh, crucial to me during this whole thing. I mean, it always has been, but um, mental health Mm -hmm. is like job one. You know, the, the beginning of the... Lockdown was not uh, not fun uh, for my wife and I. We were both ill with um, what we th- believed to be a mild form of the virus. Oh, God. Um, never been that, that sick before. I never had any respiratory issues. I wasn't coughing, but I have never experienced fatigue and aches like this before and fevers. Uh, and we're all better now, and it's all good. But... One of the few things that got me any relief was was listening to music, and there is a stack of CDs in the kitchen uh, by my windowsill. Because I would just listen, I'm playing music constantly, and I would just the, the CDs would pile up. And rather than put them away, I've just been letting them accumulate. And now the stack over like the last what has it been, April, May, like two and a half months. The stack yeah. is now like getting close to three feet high. Wow. And <laughs> and um, there's a lot of jazz in there, a lot of Miles Davis stuff from all the different uh, facets of his career. In fact, right before this show, I was in the car and I was listening to um, a, a set that I have of his that's like the, the bootleg series from the 1969-1970 band. Of um, Jack DeJohnette, Dave Holland, Chick Corea, uh, Miles, and, and Wayne Shorter. It was a group that did not exist for a very long time. Uh, in between the second great quintet that he had with Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, uh, Tony Williams, Ron Carter. Between that quintet and the Bitches Brew uh, situation, they did a brief tour of Europe of... Miles and, and Wayne in the front line and uh, DigiNet uh, Chick and, and Dave Holland. And that band never recorded officially. Um, but they captured a bunch of shows they did in Europe and put out like a three-disc set a couple of years ago. Uh, so a lot of Miles Davis. Um, I mean, it's just, it's been running the gamut. Everything from um, my old standbys like Wendy and Lisa... Mm-hmm. Um playing the Eroika album a lot. Um There's uh you're familiar with Donovan? Yes. Okay. Do you have his Sutras album from like 1998? I do not.
1: Oh man. I only have a couple uh, of Donovan albums. Okay. I need to get more. Do
0: you Yes. Do you have the Wildflowers album by Tom Petty?
1: Um No.
0: Okay uh Rick Rubin produced that album really and and he produced Sutras and I was going to say if you knew if you know the Wildflowers album by Tom Petty uh and the the sound that Rick Rubin brought to Tom Petty on that album if I said to you it's basically like Donovan's version of the Wildflowers album uh then then you would understand it's basically Rick Rubin's production style is basically just to get out of the way, capture everything as dry and as plain as possible. <laughs> and um, in Donovan's case, it's like the the songwriting is gorgeous, and the arrangements are very kind of I don't want to say sparse, but there's nothing fancy on there. <laughs> everything is very dry. Any there's no like not a lot of reverbs and delays and things. You hear the you hear the instruments like the way they sound in the room. And about the third or fourth day of the lockdown, I had like chills like you wouldn't believe. I was like, why won't they turn on the heat in this apartment? I was just like shivering. (laughs) And it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I just said, that's it. I'm going to bed. That's how lousy I feel. And I got in bed and I had like a sweater on and sweatpants and everything. And I bundled up under the blankets and I put on sutras with the headphones. And it was like, like it just, you know, helped me fall asleep a little bit. Um, so I'm trying to think of some of the other albums that have, like, because I just, I always have music spinning, mm-hmm. but there have been a couple of standouts that I've sort of rediscovered recently. Um, I just got a little Richard CD in the mail. I think I saw that piece. on Facebook. I, I, yeah, well, that was the thing. It was one of those things where it occurred to me. You know, I saw the news that he had passed and I said, Oh, I better play some of his music. And then I was like, Oh my god, I don't own any little Richard albums. But he's just one of those guys that you don't you don't think of him in terms of like which albums of his do you own because he's just one of those he's just always just existed. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like he's like part of the he's like part of the ecosystem, like the stars or something like that. So I kinda poked around and I found I wanted to get like because I know it's probably all greatest hits and anthologies and things like that, and I found one called the Georgia Peach. I think it, what's the name of this thing? Um, yeah, Little Richard, Georgia, the Georgia Peach, and it came out um, like 15, 20 years ago, and it's got like it's like an hour of stuff. And it's got all the hits that you would expect, um, plus a couple of lesser known tracks. And I had never, you know, again, he's one of those names that you just you just take for granted Mm -hmm. you know he's just like part of the just he's part of the landscape but when you focus in and listen to those records and you consider the time that those records were made and what else was going on what's what the world was like and what society looked and sounded like to hear that sound must have really messed with people's minds you know, you take it for granted, but then you you, you listen to him like, oh, my God, this still, this stuff still sounds like it comes from the future. You know, this guy's like screaming his head off and it's it's beautiful and scary all at the same time. You cannot, you, it's like, you can't put it away,
1: you know. All um, I can say is so Little Richard is just awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, of course, but you also got to consider... The context, and this is the thing that I find myself doing more and more as I get older, is like listening to the stuff that I love, but then also placing it in the context of the times and think like, man, like when, when you compare it to what else was going on in the world, you know, um, like everyone you, everyone that you talk to about the Beatles who was alive when they were active you know, I had a guitar player friend of mine, Mick Gaffney, who's an incredible musician, We, he and I were talking about this, and he said, John, I can't, there's no way to describe what it was like every time a new Beatles album came out. It was like a message from the mothership. He said, "You did. you can't imagine, like, the new Beatles album is out, and like, all of us would just stop whatever we were doing, and you would get the album and just soak it all in. And you know, I was born in 1972. For me, the whole catalog already existed. There was already solo recordings by the time I was, you know, coming of, of age. I don't, I, can't, I, I don't know what it felt like the first time everyone heard Sgt. Pepper, because I've heard that album my whole life, you know. So I've, I've never known a time where that record didn't exist. So the feeling that people must have had the first time they heard Day in the Life You know, it's it's I it it boggles my mind to think what that must have felt like, when it
1: was brand new.
0: Yeah, and and no one had ever heard anything like that. But you and I are young enough to have heard like everyone, you know, copying that record, either being influenced by it or like you know actually copying it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was already in
1: the fabric of music as it is. Right. By the time right. we discovered who the Beatles are, mm-hmm. so you, it's exactly. hard to kind of contextualize uh, what they kind of brought to the table, so to speak.
0: You have to yes, you have to work very hard. You have to do a lot of research. I went to Liverpool. Let me rephrase that. My wife and I went to Liverpool um, two summers ago. We were visiting. Uh, my aunt and uncle in England and we were going to leave my daughter and, you know, let, let her stay, let her stay with my aunt for a few days. And then we were going to go off on our own for two days. And my wife was like, well, we should go to Liverpool. We should see your Beatles stuff, you know? And we figured it out, like with the trains and everything like that. And we got there and we spent one night, we spent two days and, and a night there. And it was, it, completely changed my entire perception of that band. I thought I knew everything that there was to know about the Beatles and I knew the music and I knew the story and all that kind of stuff, but actually seeing like where they came from, seeing yeah. the, the, the place where they came from. We did the national trust tour of Lennon and McCartney's uh, childhood homes. Uh, I didn't we did another guided tour of like, some of the, uh, uh, what was the place called the bo- There was a, there was a, a pub near, um, uh, where John went to art college. I'm forgetting the name of the pub. Um, not the, Casbah. the hop No, not the Casbah. That's in fact, I believe the Casbah is actually still open. It's run by the best family, mm-hmm. um, what the hell's the name? Not the grapes. The grapes was uh, was on Matthew Street near the yeah. cavern, but just seeing the seeing where they came from. Oh, I I saw. We we went to St. Peter's Church, and they showed us that it was part of the tour. This woman, uh, Jackie Spencer, I'll <laughs> give her a plug because she does these amazing uh, Beatles history tours. Um, we went to St. Peter's Church. She showed me the the grass field where uh, Paul saw John playing for the first time. Like, she's like, yeah, so the the truck would have been parked about there, and the quarrymen would have been playing on the back of the truck. So then we get to the building of the actual church, right? And I know that inside that building is the sort of, the room where they met for the first time. You know, the famous story about how like they were on a break and John and his buddies were hanging out and Ivan Vaughn walks in, he says, Oh, this is my friend Paul and Paul plays the guitar and John's like, Oh yeah, what do you what do you do? And he takes the guitar and plays twenty flight rock. By Ed right. Cochran. Correct. Yeah. So I I knew we get up to this this building and there's a plaque on the outside brick wall. And i and we're walking up and it's like, Can we go in? She goes, Well, no, unfortunately. The church still uses the room you know, it's an active church still. We can't really go in. We're not allowed. And I go, ah, okay. So we're looking at this plaque, and she's giving, she's talking about, like, you know, so they dedicated the thing as a historical blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, I see a, a door open, and this old man, well, this old, old man, he's probably 75 or something like that, he's pushing a little cart with a bunch of chairs on it, but The door is open to the room, and I'm looking at the door. And I've I've snuck backstage enough times to know how to be like really slick about this kind of stuff. So I start like inching my way toward the door. John, don't say anything
1: incriminating.
0: Uh, There's nothing incriminating.
1: I didn't do it. But let me let me
0: finish the story. Okay, sorry. So so now Jackie uh, sees what's up, and the guy's kind of eyeing me. And finally, Jackie goes, do you mind if he just has a look inside? He's, he's flown all the way from New York and we're on the Beatles tour. And, and the guy shoots me this look. He goes, you know, there's nothing to see in there. And I go, oh, okay, yeah, but I just, you know. Nah, nah, nah. So he holds the door open and I, and I walk in and it's like, whoa. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, it just looks like like if you didn't know what it was you would just think oh it's like just this church hall you know rec room with like folding tables and stuff and i guess the week before they had done some sort of like a dedication of you know some sort of beatles history thing where they had like unveiled like a something about it but it's again. It's still being used as an actual church, so it's not like a Beatles museum kind of thing. And that's the that's the other thing about it. the Beatles history stuff in Liverpool is that it's, they they honor the history, but it's like this. It's still. Like Quarry Bank School is still an actual school. Yeah. That that kids go to, you know, uh, the Jacaranda Club. Is still open as a functioning club and as like a spot for bands to to play in. It's only really the cavern oh. that has become like a tourist trap. In fact, all of Matthew Street is like, you know, Beatles themed places. And that 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 end of it's a little a little goofy. But being in the actual room, which is probably they've probably replaced the floorboards and replaced the sheetrock and, and everything. There's probably nothing original in that room from when it was in in 57. But just being in that space was just like whoa, man. You know? Um, But seeing where they came from provided me with a certain amount of insight into their character. And I was put it this way I thought that I was going to go to Liverpool and pick up some of that Beatles mojo. Right. What I found was it's the Beatles that have Liverpool mojo. There's a whole vibe in Liverpool that's, you know, so when when the Beatles came to America and they did their press conference at the airport. Right. The New York press was, you know, they they went. I mean, this is and this is all, you know part of the story. I'm sure you know this. Yeah. The New York press hated them. These, you know, these long haired freaks from England. And they you know, weren't they don't expecting even know how to, them to
1: be they, as kind of strong willed as they were.
0: No, they were. Yeah. They, they sing like girls for Christ's sake. Woo. Yeah. And they, they don't even know how to read music for Christ's sakes. Yeah. And, you know, so that, that natural sort of, um, you know, snarkiness that the press has against any. Sort of craze like that, so they all went down to the airport to do the press conference, and the New York City press was a we're, we're going to rip these 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 English, you know, so and so's we're going to rip them apart. What they didn't figure on was that these guys had cut their teeth in strip clubs in Hamburg. Oh yeah, playing for playing for sailors and prostitutes, right? And these guys the. You know, though you know, those guys got off the plane ready for blood. Also, so they gave that attitude right back at them. You know, if you saw where Ringo grew up, I saw Ringo's
1: street on the tour. It's,
0: it's the hood, man. It's like, still, you know. So a guy that come, guy came up from those kinds of streets. He's not gonna, he's not taking any shit. And they threw it right back in their faces, and, you know. A friend of mine who you should absolutely have on the show here, uh, Roseanne Beluso, um, she actually has a fan club called Fans on the Run. Oh. Any place place on the Eastern Seaboard that McCartney plays, she's there. I
1: think I actually saw them.
0: Yeah. She's been invited on stage with Paul more than once, actually. Um, And... She's from Brooklyn, like I am, and I was asking, and I know she's been to Liverpool a bunch of times, so I had called her about, like, who should I talk to, where should I go, you know, is there, like, an organized, you know, getting, you know, the advice on, like, what I should do, and she basically said, like, Liverpool is, like, the Brooklyn of England, you know, working class, but also there's, like, a sophistication there, a lot of poets, poets, a lot of artists and there's a there's a, a a certain kind of vibe in there and seeing the streets that they walked on seeing the route from the ca- we stayed at this in in what they call the city center okay which is like close to where the cavern is and everything and we we figured out the bus route out to um the uh the place where the national trust tours was starting from uh And we're in the McCartney home. And we're sitting on, like, in, like, the living room there. And does anybody have any questions? I said, yeah. So you're telling me that Paul lived in this house until he was 21? Like, so when they were playing the cavern, how did they get there? And it sounds like a silly question, but, like, how did they physically get from here? Now that I've seen what the actual distance is from their house to the cavern like how did they look i just was curious about the logistics of that like how did they actually get there and she's like they took the bus i said what so yeah they would get on the bus with their instruments and everything and and they had to and i think they had to switch buses or something and having taken that bus route myself and seeing what it was like you know you don't think of these things when you read those stories but like you understand how the deck was just completely stacked against them at every step like every level of the video game it got tougher and tougher and tougher until they were on the ed sullivan show in america like just completely reorganizing culture right because they were just it's like any 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 number of bands coming up in that scene that were that had hipper song choices Better musicianship, da, da 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 da. But these guys, the the brass balls that it took to come from where they came from, to become what they became, it it makes the story, it makes their story even more like supernatural. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: because uh, is Ringo's house? When did you go back to Liverpool?
0: Um, yeah. I was there, and uh, we were there the summer of two thousand eighteen. It's like two summers ago. Okay.
1: Uh, when I was there, there was this big uh, stink because Ringo's house was going to be torn down. And so right. I, I saw his house quite decrepit and abandoned. Yep. And, and Yes. But it just made me kind of think that how could these borderline Dickensian street kids from Liverpool right. go on to have the biggest impact on music since Beethoven?
0: Right. Well, exactly. that's And that's... Was the the whole train ride home? Uh, well, at home I should say, back to um, to where my uh, where my aunt and uncle live. Uh, the whole train ride out of there, I I just was like, you know, I put on Strawberry Fields Forever on my iPod, and suddenly it all made sense. Seeing where they all came from, seeing George's house. You know, just seeing that what those—I mean—so you were there, so you you know what I'm talking about. The yeah. way those the way those streets looked, um, and the fact that nobody is really impressed with anything there. Like like the people that are the people that are from there anyway. I think you know, the tourists. You know, they that people they they see people like me. You know, and I was really conscious not to be like yet another irritating American beatles freak wanting to see ringo's house or whatever it was yeah. um but it just it brought the story i mean i've been reading those books since i was you know younger than you you know shout by philip norman or uh you know the beatles forever uh the hunter davies book i've been reading those books my whole life but seeing the actual penny lane and it, the actual it strawberry still gives Fields,
1: me chills thinking about it it
0: yeah, but it, it just it it really brought the story to life because like, you know, I've been in bands with my friends and dreamed of making it. You know, it's different growing up in New York when you're when you when you live like an hour away from Radio City Music Hall. It's not, you know, it's not it's it's the different kind of thing. But Liverpool is sort of like, you know, it's it's a it's a different vibe. They, they it, you know, it, it's like its own little I mean, all the different sections of England, as I found out, are very, you know, European cities in general, I think, are very, it's very regional. You oh, know, yeah. I remember when we, my, my wife and I honeymooned in Italy and, you know, all the different, even, even like within a place like Siena, there are like these little neighborhoods, these little enclaves that have their own flags and their own sort of take on things. And Liverpool, there's definitely like a, a vibe. And we were saying like, you know, I, I, we're walking around the streets and I said to Jill, I said, what is this? what does this remind you of? Does it remind you of like downtown New York? Does it remind you of, 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 uh, of London? Uh, of, of, of Paris? You know, all the, you know, she's traveled with me a bunch when we were I was on tour. I said, what, what does this remind you of? And she goes, you know what? It's its own thing. Liverpool is totally its own thing. And we finished the visit with, um, we went to the Liverpool museum, which is down by the docks, Yeah. Down by the, uh, the water and they had a huge John and Yoko exhibit and we saw the part of the exhibit where he's doing the bed in for peace and there's like a film of him like mouthing off to some reporter or whatever getting back and forth you know having this like back and forth with a reporter and he's got the cigarette and he's like scowling at this guy yeah well the French should be blah 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 then he's just getting in the guy's face and having seen his Aunt Mimi's house and knowing that he grew up, as a, he spent his youth, like as, a, as an adolescent kid, he grew up in a house where, you know, Mimi was, uh, when her husband died, when John's Uncle George died, she had to find all kinds of ways to make money. And one of the ways that she used to make money was she would rent out rooms in her house to college students. So John was living in the house, but then there was like this revolving crew of these college students um medical students and veterinary students and you know intellectuals coming and going in the house and it suddenly made perfect sense to me that a kid who grew up in an environment like that would go on to become you know who john lennon was in 1969 does that make sense oh yeah or am i talking too much oh no it
1: makes sense
0: yeah no, it 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 really brought the story to life to me, and it made, and and it made the music make more sense because I understood their their mentality a little bit more. That 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 restlessness artistically of like what else can we do? Like they never, you never saw them like all right, well we we owe them one more album, so let's just crank out a bunch of songs that sound like Beatles songs and in call it a day there was always like well what else what can we do to like stretch this thing out? what 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 new sound have we not used yet you know and that goes back to like hard days night well like why don't you play the bongos instead or something like that you know what i mean yeah. so that kind of the constantly pushing the limits trying stuff that hadn't been done yet you know uh when you go to liverpool and you see you get the feeling in those streets you kind of understand uh that sort of like artistic kind of restlessness and that you know that sort of seeking something that's that's got some character to it and the humor the dry humor i remember there was a um it was a, when we did the the national trust tours um the driver was uh, a Liverpoolian and someone There was there were these two people and they went over to ask the driver a question and they had like these very thick accents Uh, and he goes well listen I don't speak Spanish you're going to be waiting quite a long time for an answer and he goes oh we are not Spanish we are Norwegian and the driver goes ah well you'll be waiting even longer then (laughs) right and I thought it just sounded like dialogue out of Hard Day's Night he was just so quick. With it, and I and I really and I understood like, oh, that's that's the character, you know, that's the character that was in that that group. And if you look at like their humor and their sort of irreverence for things, uh, I think that is what really struck a chord with us in America, particularly in New York, and particularly in Brooklyn, you know, a lot of like the really heavy beatards like myself. Are, it's this phenomenon where there's like something about like Italian-American men from Brooklyn and from 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 New York City. Not just Brooklyn, but like Long Island and everything. Like a lot of the heavy beatards that I know are guys like me. All the Beatle tribute bands are Tony Garofalo, Mike Bellucci, like the guys like me. And I said, what is it about the Beatles that attracts you know, Italian men like that. And I think it's, it's that sort of like that quick wit is very similar to how we are in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a working class
1: thing. I I don't even know what to say because you just, (laughs) just, just... (laughs) no, it's not a rant. It's, I don't know how I could have put anything better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I forget the original. So to answer your question, what have I been listening to? Um, Lots of stuff. <laughs> and, and not, interestingly enough, not a whole lot of Beatles. I gotta say, I don't listen to a ton of Beatles, because it's, you know, I've been listening to those records my whole life, and I try not
1: You don't to want them to get stale.
0: Correct. But I will say this, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, a week ago, I think it was a Saturday morning, um... I got up to make breakfast, and I was in the kitchen. And for some reason, I thought, oh, "Put rubber sole on." And I prefer American rubber sole, just because it's the one I grew up with. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. I know people get very, um, very uptight about the English records, or the uh, you know, it's the way the band intended them to sound.
1: I don't have which a is particularly kind of, strong opinion on it. I okay. mean yes. because the music's great either way. Exactly. Exactly. I mean exactly. I think it's well, just how you're used to hearing it. I think well
0: that's exactly. So for me Rubber Soul has to open with I've Just Seen a Face.
1: And for and me side- it, it has to open with Drive My Car.
0: Okay. That's fine. And I and that the English Rubber Soul album is a great album. I'm not I'm not knocking it.
1: But it's not um, the same album.
0: It's a completely different album. I think Dave Dexter at Capitol Records has gotten a lot of flack over the years um, for, for people accuse him of like tampering with with stuff, which is slightly dubious. I don't think the Beatles were in there selecting the running order of anything, A. And B, given what his job description was at that time, he was perfectly within his rights to... Set up those records any way that he saw fit his job was to make sure that those records sold You know what? I mean, it wasn't like someone else uh, Got in there and started messing, you know and and rewriting the songs or re-editing them, you know I think if the English Rubber Soul album had been released in America in 1965 I don't think it would have had the same impact Um (laughs) and 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 the american rubber soul album opens with a, it's it's much more acoustic it's much folkier
1: it's the album um, that inspired pet sounds not the british thank version thank you
0: thank you it inspired pet sounds um when you talk about acts like the birds or tom petty or any number of these american bands who come straight, directly out of the Beatles playbook, they were listening to those Capitol albums. <laughs> so I understand that the English versions, you know, they're it's more bang for your buck, they don't repeat the singles, they're longer, all that kind of business, and that's fine. But for me personally, I just, I have a special connection to American Rubber Soul. So anyway... I... I put it on in the kit. No. Yeah, I'm sorry.
1: Guys. Oh, no, you go. go ahead. You started first. Okay.
0: Well, no, I was just saying, I, I, I put it on in the kitchen. And I've, you know, listened to that record my my whole life. It's nothing, you know, not going to discover anything new. But these days, like I said, I don't listen to it that often. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, one... How, how do they do this? For some reason, like now, out of, you know, after, after how many years now it's striking me like how do they just one amazing song after another they were just on fire you know um and it's nice to kind of hear them to, to put it away for a while so you hear it fresh um and the, and that you don't get tired of it and that you don't take it for granted um and i was just blown away like all over again you know and again, I thought to myself, man, in nineteen sixty five, like what else was going on? Like all the other bands. When this record came out, how many bands went, Ah oh, shit, we better go back to the drawing board, man. They've just they've raised the bar again. You know. I also have there's like a couple of songs on the like It's Only Love is one of those like underrated, underappreciated. I love that song. Yeah. And no bridge. First chorus, first chorus out. I don't think it, I don't think that song's even two minutes long.
1: It took me like a million years to figure out what that guitar sound was. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just you know, like the Gretsch with the Bigsby just hammering on that one string while another right. guitar was playing like the descending notes.
0: Right. Yeah, I, th- something- I definitely think Sorry good,
1: oh, no, it's just something seemingly that simple, but it's so kind of complex, just even just a riff like that, yes, and the purpose
0: that it serves, you know, for the lead guitarist in the band to you know to to expa- I, all of them individually, I think expanded the role that their instrument would play in the context of a, of a band, you know, much in the same way that Miles Davis's quintets, uh, small or small groups, uh, would, if, if, if you listen to the Miles group from, you know, the, the earlier days with, um, oh, man, why do I why do I do this? I start talking like I know what I'm talking about, and then I forget everyone's name. So, But that's okay. I'm sitting in front of the computer, and I can just look it up while I'm talking. And then they'll think, yeah, man, that guy knows what he's talking about. Okay, so the group that played on Kind of Blue. Uh, Cannibal Adderley on alto sax, John Coltrane on tenor.
1: I'm just Bill impressed. Evans and went, you knew these off the top of your head. No, I I didn't. I'm looking at Wikipedia.
0: <laughs> but okay, <laughs> that so was the joke. You, Okay, so you've got so the rhythm section was Jimmy Cobb, Paul Chambers, and Wynton Kelly. Uh, and there's um, and and Bill Evans, <laughs> um, and the horns were uh, besides Miles is Cannibal Adderley, and John Coltrane. Okay, completely different. When he got the quintet together with Herbie Hancock, uh, Tony Williams, and Ron Carter, those three guys in the rhythm section were doing things on their instrument that, like the 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 that that hadn't been done yet. They were expanding the the role that those instruments could play. Suddenly, the drums didn't have to be the timekeeper necessarily. Bass didn't have to play the root of the chord on the downbeat all the time, right? And so. A lead guitarist like George Harrison didn't have to just wait for the middle eight to take a solo (laughs) you know now he was like orchestrating parts now he was like writing composing through composing counter melodies and taking more care to structure them in a way that they were you know a a second element to the song a, a second dimension to the song um, and if it meant double tracking it or putting it through a Leslie or like hitting the hitting the Bigsby like you said you know just to keep it interesting so that because yeah. you know because don't forget ultimately you're going to put this thing on your stereo and you're going to go what is what is that you know like just the scent like that song pops out of you uh, pops out of pops out at you and you go my god what what is that like if you hear the if you hear the version of It's Only Love on the anthology where it's just the acoustic, you know, it's fine. Yeah, but, but it doesn't it, hit the that, same way. That, that, when that sound comes out, you're like, "What what? What is that?" Yeah. And th- whatever happens next, you're you're like you're waiting for it. Like, "What's what what's going to happen now?" And you know, I think they were they were brilliant at coming up with things that just just making things sound interesting Mm -hmm. you know and just to catch your ear you know it's ear candy but then now you're now you're paying full attention you know another song that's why that that song yeah and, and that's why it's only love can do what it needs to do in under two minutes you know, a bridge would have ruined that song. If there would, if there's, if there was another section to that song, it would have couple, collapsed. You know, so they do just what's necessary, in, out, done, next. You know, and that I, I heard that song again, like I said, like a week ago. I was like, oh my god, you know, how did they, you know, what that, what that must have been like in 1965 to get an album from a band where every single track is just like pow, pow
1: pow like one after the next you know i was gonna say another song that kind of evokes that same kind of feeling is uh i need you off the help album with that oh yeah i think it's a volume pedal
0: yes i think it's volume i think that i think there's there's guys who know more about this kind of stuff than I do. I think he had a volume and tone. Pedal Where's Andy you When it. you need him? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. It's uh, you, you. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I think there was it was a thing where if you moved it up and down, it was volume, and it moved it side to side, it would change the tone. So I think yes, it is. He's going. He's changing the tone as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I need you is one of those songs that like. You know, it's it's one of those George songs that people don't really talk about very much for some reason. It just gets lost in the shuffle when people talk about Here Comes the Sun or While My Guitar Gently Weeps, you know, uh, which, is, which are all great, but, like, those songs where George was definitely trying to, like, elbow his way into the club, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's, to be in a band with Lennon and McCartney must have been a lot of, like, you know how am I gonna like edge my way into this game? You know, and um, I need you is just a it's a, a gem, uh, and he wasn't afraid to try out like new chords. Although my my two favorite George tracks, or I was gonna say my favorite George track, but I I have two of them: Old Brown Shoe oh, and that. Think and and Think for Yourself. Oh, we Think were suppo- for Yourself is we, awesome. We were supposed to do a show um, in uh, in March it's a band i work with here in new york wondrous stories and we were going to do a um, concert they were doing it the last 10 years or so we've been doing this concert for bangladesh revisited where it's like a cast of like you know 25 30 people and we do the ba- we do the set list from the bangladesh concert and then we do like a second set of like selected beatles tracks and solo tracks and then we'll have like star guests come up and uh You know, uh, Steve Holly from Wings has uh, been on there a couple of times. Marshall Crenshaw, people like that, who that we are sort of in our orbit, and they'd asked me to do it again this year, and I knew that we would, you know, we try to fill out the set with other George songs, and I said I'll do it if I can do Think for Yourself, and I want to sing it and I want to play the fuzz bass.
1: Oh, the fuzz bass is killer. (laughs)
0: and they said yeah okay because we it was one that we hadn't tried yet and we had it all worked out we were going to have like i was going to play fuzz bass and we had a bass player worked out to play the regular bass part and we had the harmonies all worked out and then the show had to be canceled because of the pandemic you know but um and i had figured out uh how to get uh the fuzz bass sound (laughs) um i have a tech 21 pedal called the vt bass it's like a. it's supposed to replicate like the distortion you get from an svt rig okay and i had i had just figured out the exact setting to get like the fuzz where it like it didn't distort too much <laughs> but there, there was some sustain but it still cut through um but i had to play my violin bass with flat wounds oh yeah to do it you know Uh, and I was all psyched to do. and I had worked out like playing the fuzz bass line and singing. I had it all worked out and I was, you know, then, but then the show didn't happen. So
1: do it virtually. I want to hear this. I,
0: yeah, you know what? I might just, I might just have to do that. I think you're right.
1: Uh, You know, if you need drums. Well, if, uh, if
0: you want to do the drums and you send them to me, that will get the ball rolling. That will definitely get the ball rolling because um, I can't do drums here. I, I actually, you know what? I I was I was thinking about that. Like after the after the Bangladesh show got canceled, and you know you should know it was like the day before. I mean it was in, in New York. I don't know what, what it was like in the rest of the world, but in New York it was right up until the last minute. It was like when that Wednesday of that week, when uh, when the president addressed the nation about, like, this pandemic is, uh, you know, pretty gnarly after all. Um, It was, like, Thursday, and people were still, but but, you know, not really sure what was happening. It was like, nope, all the Broadway theaters are closed now. What? Oh, yeah, and now there's no baseball. What? Like, one by one, the dominoes kept falling. We were supposed to play this show. It was supposed to be Friday the 13th, and it was Thursday that we got the email saying, yeah, the venue is, uh, they don't want to do the show. But up until that Thursday, Thursday morning, I thought like, "Am I going to be driving tomorrow night to do a show with thirty people on stage and people sharing mics and everything?" I don't think so. God, I missed and live entertainment. D- well, you know what? That was the live entertainment's my bread and butter, my friend. So, uh, you know, of all the things that they used to warn me about about how unstable a career in music is, um. You know lots of factors uh come into play here but the notion that like you know didn't ever occur to us that baked into your business model is large groups of people assembling oh. in a small place and if that ever becomes a problem then that's it my friend you know and i can it, we, so we've been learning how to deal with the changing face of, of of media and tastes and upheavals in the business and all these kinds of things um but no one ever prepared us for like yeah one day you, we're going to be limited to gatherings of no more than 10 people at a time
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's not even like <laughs> half your band
0: that's right. I mean, you know, that that was. Look, the Bangladesh show. We have like nine singers on stage. We, you know, I mean, they they really. One the guys in Wonder Stories really, um, they go all out. We have two drummers, percussionist. There's like four guitar players. Well, uh, you know, because a- anytime you do a George tribute thing, it's the band's got to be 27 people. You know. Yeah. Uh, and we have like a nine voice, uh, you know, v- uh, vocal choir. You know, it's like a huge undertaking, you know, uh, and I said, there's, there's no way that this is going to happen. And and sure enough, then it got postponed <laughs> all the way till May. They thought May 8th, we're going to do it. I'm like, oh, OK. Um, and then, of course, now it's been it's now it's sort of been held off yeah. indefinitely, you know, but I in mean, any case, we're getting way off the Beatles track here. I so, just want to
1: add one. you know, What little, else would you like to know? One little tangent. Um, sure about live music this will probably okay. destroy my viewers uh, respect for me I <laughs> uh, when all this all these concerts were getting canceled and I got the email yeah. that the Craftwork concert I was going to go see got postponed yeah. till next year I almost put my uh, fist through a wall <laughs> oh wow well now so let's break this down for a second um not the band you would associate the, with putting a fist through a wall.
0: Well, again, I you know, look, it's why, why do you think that your fans your your listeners would lose any sort of respect for you about that because of it's a first world problems kind of thing or are are you are you maintaining this public image of being like totally chill all the time and you don't want people to know that you've got such a hot temper? I mean, why would people? Okay, so I I think I you know listen, man. As, as I'm 48 years old, I I'm looking to the younger generation because they are going to be running the country when I'm you know when I'm when I'm 90 years old and you know having to be fed with a spoon. So I, I take a lot of interest in what what young people are doing and, and what they're into and for a 17 year old to be that heavily into a band like Kraftwerk is pretty hip Kraftwerk's in and, in and awesome. of itself. yeah and I and I must say I don't I don't know any anything about them but I I know I kind of I I know sort of what they're about it's like German like electronic yeah stuff right Okay. I think that's I think it's pretty cool that you're that that you're hip enough to be disappointed like that. And by and by the way, not, and and I and, and I know this sounds like I'm condescending and I don't mean it to be, so I apologize in advance. No but I remember no, no being offense. I remember I remember being seventeen years old and how that kind of shit was like life and death. Yeah. To me. This, you know, to this day when I was when I, I, I harbor um, a little bit of resentment about uh, there was a show that I wanted to see when I was I was 16 it was the summer of 1988 squeeze was playing at Jones Beach Okay. and the, and the smithereens were open oh. and you know I was like smithereens fan one I mean that was like we could do a whole other podcast about my relationship with the smithereens and I loved Squeeze. So the two of them on a show together was like I had to be at that show. And I had taken a job at a sleepaway camp in Connecticut. It was the camp that I had been going to for like the previous couple of years. And now I was going back as like a counselor aide, right? Like a junior counselor. And there was no way for me to get from like the 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 camp was like like a half hour drive to the train station and so i would have to take a train home and then get out to jones beach somehow and we lived in brooklyn jones beach is out in long island and there was no way that i was going to be able to like get to that show to get away from the camp and i was just furious just 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 like that that kind of just I mean, I was I was so mad and so pissed off that I was going to be missing this, like, once-in-a-lifetime show. And, you know, finally my father said, listen, next time the Smithereens come to town, I will take you to see them, okay? Whenever that is, you just let me know, and I will do that. And I was like, mm, okay. And that October, they played at the Beacon Theater, and they were headlining. And I went, and that was the show that changed my life. That was the show that that I'd said I want to be, I want to be in the rock and roll business. Whatever, whatever that is going on down there, I want a piece of that. So it turned, it turned out okay. And then I did get to see Squeeze again, like the I think the following year they played the Garden, and I saw them.
1: I'm going to divert I, this I remember, back to the Beatles. Oh wait, no. Please. No, oh, no. No, no, no. That was it. That okay. that was it. That was it. I'm, so <laughs> I feel that, bad because yeah. I feel like I back. keep interrupting. <laughs>
0: No, it's fun. No, you know what it is. I think this clean feed is maybe this. It sounds great, but I think there might be a little bit of that sort of lag yeah. that happens. So, in any case, what what else you got about the Beatles?
1: When did you first discover the Beatles?
0: I was. I mean, I was. Uh, I mean, from the time I was born. I mean, my parents were massive fans, particularly my father. My father was a guitar player, still is. Uh, my mother's a concert pianist they were actually in a band together for a time um I think like right before I was born and, and, and until I was like maybe like a year old or so um it was just always around and my folks divorced when I was maybe i think like two or something and we would stay at my dad's plays from time to time and he just had the records around i mean my mother had the albums too but my father had like his guitars would be out and he was just a much more of a pronounced kind of fan and i gotta say thinking about this he had a book called the beatles and illustrated record
1: i know the one you're i know the one you speak of
0: okay so when I, I was like four years old, five years old, I was always up earlier than everyone else. I would always wake up like before my sister or my dad or whatever. And I can remember like thumbing through this book and looking at all the pictures and how they, you know, how they the, the way they looked changed over the years. It It was just like so fascinating visually. But, Again, he had those records. He used to play those songs on guitar. Um, And, you know, growing up in America in the 70s, they were still all over the radio, all over TV. I mean, they were still pretty ubiquitous then. So I don't remember there being, like, a moment where I got into them. They were just always there. Um, You know, I was... uh, I hear stories about when I was in like nursery school and I used to carry the strawberry fields, Penny lane single around with me, like four years old, five years old, going to kindergarten. And like, you know, I remember that orange and yellow swirl, uh, capital label of that single. And then I went through a very serious, let it be phase when I was like six. Like kindergarten, first grade was like I was obsessed with the Let It Be album. Um, Really? Yeah. um, Again, I mean, just when you're a kid, think of being six years old and like looking at the Let It Be album, like with the big gatefold cover and those pictures, those little, the little, in, in the little frames, it's like a comic book. Mm-hmm. you know and they're on the roof and they're in this like the big film studio with mics everywhere it was just it, i i just remember being captivated by like the imagery of you know of of where they were it just seemed so magical and what they were doing um and the music was just already the music was already part of the landscape it wasn't like this thing that you had to go off and secretly do Uh, without your parents' knowledge because my parents were into it too and my parents' friends. Like every every time we would go visit someone, you know, we'd go to someone's house, whether it was my uncle's house or like my parents had friends who also had kids our age and so we would all get together and you go to someone's house and you walk into the living room and you walk over to the record player and there's a copy of Sgt. Pepper. Or the Red and Blue album. I mean like every home that I was in, uh, you know, from the time I was 12 years old owned a copy of Sgt. Pepper. I mean it was like the Bible or something, or the, or the phone book. I mean it was just everywhere, you know. So it wasn't like I had to work very hard to pursue this interest. It was only when I started reading the books and getting into the history um, like, you know, like Shout and, and, and those and those kinds of books We're learning, the, you know, the, the story about Hamburg and Brian Epstein and Nem's Enterprises and Apple and Alan Klein and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, then it became a thing where I was more of, like, you know, geeking out on it. Um, and then I got the... Then once the anthology came out and hearing, like, that much more detail about the story... I got more geeked out on it, Um, and then I started uh, when I got the gig with Alan Parsons, and through working with him, uh, we started doing these things where you know we would start backing up guys like Joey Molland and Denny Lane, and then when I started meeting people that were in their orbit and hearing these stories firsthand. You know and finding out more about the kind of people that they were and it just seems like every every different points in my life where the the interest it wasn't like my interest would would wane or increase it was it was i heard a quote once about learning where there's two ways to learn you can either put more information into your head or you can take the information that's already there and reheat it so it expands. And for me, that's kind of what was happening with the Beatles and, and continues to happen. Like when I would sit with Denny Lane and he would tell me things firsthand stuff about McCartney about the way they did stuff, that it would it would sort of give me another uh... It would provide me like there's like another facet to his character that would explain why certain creative decisions were made. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. so you know there there have been different points in my life where you know where you where you think to yourself, God, with the Beatles already enough? like when is he gonna be tired of this stuff? No, when you find out things like how the Hey Jude album was assembled in New York <laughs> by Alan Klein, you know, it, it just, you know, like I've loved that album my whole life. But then you find out that it was like, we need product because like we just signed a deal with Capitol. Made John by says Satan
1: himself.
0: The... Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, what was he going to do? He just negotiated. You know that story,
1: the, right? The biggest like royalty increase uh, yeah. up to that point with Capitol Records. 25 cents a record up
0: from 18 cents a record but check it out so he negotiated. they were getting 18 cents a record he negotiated it up to 25 okay how many more cents is that don't do this to Seven. me i didn't do well in that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they teach math, maths up
1: there in Ontario? 25 just, minus... It's just math. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My okay, brain, so that's... I'm working at about 10% normal capacity. That's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Oh, that's so funny. No, essential um, personnel only.
0: <laughs> that's hysterical. Okay, so, yeah, so the seven cent increase. Okay, so the. Uh, are you familiar with a McCartney book called Many Years From Now? Is Ethan familiar with the McCartney book called Many Years From Now? Will they derail the conversation and start talking about non-Beatles music? Does any of this matter? Tune in Monday for the thrilling conclusion to this episode. Same fan time, same fan channel.